Father, we, uh, we are just so grateful that you are enthroned above. Lord, we are, are grateful that you reign in, in all the heavens, that your love is good, that your love endures. Father, as we come to your word and as our children head out to treasure seekers, Lord, may we find ourselves lost in you. Lord, away from the worries of the world, away from the busyness of life, may we find ourselves once again at the feet of your throne, embraced by your word. Lord, lead us, we pray this morning. Amen. All right, kids, you can head on out uh, to Treasure Seekers. So this morning, as we continue in our Kingdom Living series, we're going to be confronted with the question in our lives, what matters most to us? Of course, we know that the right answer is, anyone? Jesus. We know that the right answer is Jesus. And if you answered Jesus to that, you've graduated Sunday school. And we, we know that the right answer should be Jesus. But the reality is that often there are other things that, that creep into our lives. Sometimes they creep up upon us and, and before we realize it, they've, they've taken priority place in our lives above Jesus. As I look at, to how Christianity is lived out by Christians, and I'm particularly speaking here from a very much a Western context, because that's the, the context through which I have grown up, through which I, I, I see Christians living out their faith. What I see is that we become very good at conforming our faith to the way that we want to live. In other words, that there are certain elements of our life that we really don't want to give up, but we desperately want to follow Jesus too. We want to have our cake and eat it, so to speak. We want to, we want to have the things that we, we enjoy about life, that we, we like about our, the, the way that we've lived life. We like about our culture, our Western culture, and we add Jesus onto that. Let me be clear here, because what I'm saying is quite controversial, maybe quite controversial to you. Western civilization was built upon the foundation of Christian morals and values. But Western civilization is not Christianity. Western civilization is not Christianity. I'm going to tease that out and explore what I mean by that throughout our message today. <clears throat> we saw uh, last week um, that this is, not, this is not a new concept, by the way, that we, we conform Christianity to what we want in life. Uh, and, and there are certain elements of, of Christianity that... that don't necessarily fit with life the way it is so we conform it we add it on and we we change what it is and and this is not new in fact it was not new after Christ has born had come it, it was uh, something that that Jesus encountered and addressed with Israel with, with the the church equivalent of, of his day uh, we we saw that uh, last week's passage 
We, we have a tendency to make it about us, about me. You know, we, we do things in order to seek adoration from the world around us, to, to, to gain praise, to be told, hey, aren't they doing a good job or aren't they a good Christian? And, and specifically, Jesus addressed um, things like giving to the needy. You know, when you give, don't give like the hypocrites who give and, and make a big song and dance about it so that they can be seen to be giving. They've received their reward. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites in front of everybody for all the world to see because they're praying to the crowds, to the masses, not to God. So we have this tendency, and it's not a new tendency to, to, to try and claw back. It comes down to this word control. We want to claw back control into our life. We want to dictate to God what it means to follow him and, and what we're comfortable giving him and, and, and what we're not. Today's passage, uh, which will be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, uh, and, and on from there. Jesus warns us about the little things in life that, that slowly and increasingly take up more and more of our time, more and more of our thinking, and slowly become more of a priority in our lives than seeking Jesus and walking in his footsteps. We've often come across, we've all probably seen that uh, footprints motif. And the story that goes behind it is that someone who had been through some really rough patches in life, complaining to God, saying, where were you? Where were you when I needed you most? Look, I can see that there's only one set of footprints when life was the most difficult for me, when I wasn't coping. Where were you, God? And God's reply was, my child those are my footprints, and that is when I carried you. As I was reflecting on this passage today and, and this message, and that image of, of footprints in the sand came to mind, but not in that way. See, the way it came to mind, in my head at least, was there should always be one set of footprints, or at least it should appear that way. Because our footprints should rest inside that of Jesus' footprints. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That what it, that's what it means to be living in the kingdom of God. It's not a, a pick and choose and, and uh, make your own Christianity. That's not what Jesus offers. What Jesus offers, and we've said this time and again throughout this series especially, is an all or nothing all or nothing. Your way doesn't work. So you've got to follow me completely. Surrender completely. So if the question that we're left with today, and so I'm giving you that up front, here's the answer to the message. Here's the end of the message uh, before we get there. Is how, if the question we're left with is how do we keep Jesus as the primary focus in our lives above our own desires, above our desire for control and security, above all the things that stress us out in life that concern us and worry us, our response is threefold. Slow down, listen more, and wait upon the Lord. 
What does it mean to walk in Jesus' footsteps? Slow down. Listen more. Wait upon the Lord. What does it mean to put Jesus first, to treasure Jesus and to treasure God's kingdom above all else? Slow down. Listen more. And wait upon the Lord. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'll be reading from verse 19. This passage is broken for us into two sections. The first section, Jesus talks about what we really value in life. In the second section, he talks about the subtle motivation that drives us to those treasures. Worry and anxiety and ultimately a lack of control over our own future and the security of our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Keep your finger there. We're gonna, I'm going to unpack that before we move on. When we think of worldly treasures that Jesus is describing, the, the kind of treasures that, that moth and vermin destroy, that, that thieves break in and steal, we, we think of, of our material possessions, don't we? Clothes, cars, boats, things. Things that you buy, things that you possess, things. But I, I think we could expand that list We could put in here some things that are less tangible, things that you can't simply pick up with your hands. These things that I'm talking about are worldly values and ideals. It's it's where the secular of the Western culture invades our heart organically by osmosis, as they say. We pick it up by being immersed in it, by being surrounded in it. Don't get me wrong, it's not all bad. But when it trumps God for priority in our life, when it trumps Jesus for priority, when it's driving our attitudes and behaviours which are are not characterised by gentleness and compassion and grace and and love, then that's that's when it becomes a problem. So, So what are some of these Western ideals, Australian cultural values that, that I think are these treasures, worldly treasures? Well, first of all, personal independence. Personal independence. From this idea, we develop uh, the idea of personal liberty. You might think, well, that's hardly a bad thing, is it? And, you know, it's not... You know, it's, it's from this idea that, that we, we see an end to slavery. We, we see compassion for the needy and the vulnerable. But it becomes an issue when it develops into an idol that says, I should be the one who determines everything that's important to my life. That other people should not be able to make decisions that have an impact on my life without me agreeing to them. 
It becomes an issue when it becomes an issue of control and an issue of my personal security. We want to be the ones to determine what goes on in our lives. We want to be the the ones who determine the rules for how we are able to live our life. We want to be the ones to have that control. We we don't want people to impinge on our rights and our freedoms. You heard that kind of language lately? I want to ask you a question, honestly. Where, where is that in the Bible? Where, where does Jesus say, where does anyone from the Bible say, that we will have civil liberty from secular governments? Where, where does it say that we will be free from the persecution, from the ridicule of secular governments. I tell you, in all my years, all my years of preaching the word, in all my years of, of reading the word, I don't find it. You know, we've only got to go back a few weeks. And what Jesus promises us when he paints a picture of what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a sobering thought because we don't like that. That's uncomfortable, like it's... it's you know, if you go and tell me to go and, and walk across hot coals, I'm going to say, you're crazy. If you go and tell me, like if someone was telling me to, to impale my foot on a nail, I'd say, you're mad. But the reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, it, it requires this surrender and individual liberty is not a bad thing. It's something that as Christians we should be championing the individual liberty of of those who have been enslaved and kept enslaved. But it's not an individual liberty for control over ourselves. Because the very first blessing that Jesus says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you realize that your way is broken and sinful and results in destruction. And so you then come to me to follow my way. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I guess another one, as I think about it, you know, we, we think about the great Australian dream. Own a house and a car. The problem is that now in order to, to own a, a, a house and a car, we've got to have two jobs and so it's a house and cars. And that's nice, but, but there's an underlying sentiment that drives that. And you know what that sentiment is? That sentiment is uh, a security, a control over the future of our life. That's what we desire. That's what, what is at the root and the core of the great Australian dream. It is this sense of security for the future that we will want for nothing that we will have all that we desire 
and we will be able to be self-sufficient. That's another part of the, the, the great Australian culture, isn't it? You know, when I was asked uh, a little while ago, how would you define what, what is distinctive about Australia? What separates Australians from the rest of the world? One of the things, the first thing that comes to mind is our ingenuity. When you look through the list of things that have been invented by Australians, this small country in comparison to the rest of the world, it is remarkable when you hear the stories of, of our diggers at, at world, in, in World War I and World War II and their ingenuity, their ability to adapt to their circumstances, to survive, that is the Australian psyche, isn't it? The underdog, to rise up. But underlying all of that is this deep desire this need for us to be in control of our lives. And that becomes a problem when it puts us in competition with surrender to Jesus. Jesus uh, continues in, in Matthew 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What really matters? Jesus' words here in verse 21 should send a shudder down our spine. They should reverberate throughout our lives. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is so important because as we've examined over this series... We've seen that above all else, what matters to God is our heart. He, he knows that we cannot live perfectly, righteously under the law. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. He knows the desires of our heart are sinful. And that's why he took it upon himself to bear the weight of our sin, to bear our punishment. But in order to receive this gift of grace... Our hearts need to be repentant. Our hearts need to treasure above all else God's righteousness. Not a righteousness that we can earn. Not a righteousness that, that is of our own. That a, a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that by the very act of God giving it to us glorifies himself. He is the source of our righteousness. And that needs to be the center of our desire. And there is this tension that we live with between the pull of the flesh, the temptations, the desires of the flesh, as Paul puts it, and the pursuit of God's holiness and righteousness. So what do we value most? What do we treasure most? And how do we see that played out in, in the way in which we live? These questions are the tests for our heart. To test and see where, whether we are, are, are truly devoted to Jesus or whether we, we have misdirected our focus, our priorities. You know, are, are there things in our life 
that are getting in the way of living in the kingdom of heaven, living in the freedom from the bondage to sin that Jesus has given us, knowing the righteousness, the right way that God has shown us and provided for us. Not all of these things, a house and a car, individual liberty, are are bad things. So how do we know when they become a problem? Well, let's have a look. Verse 22. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How do we recognize when when these priorities, these things, these essentials in life, we need a house, we need a car, we need to work. We, we, need, to, we need to prioritize the liberty of those who, who have none. And, and Jesus says, take a look. How much of your life is focused on these things. The biggest, the biggest issue that we're facing, we're all dealing with at the moment, is the coronavirus. And, and all that comes with that, the flow-on effects. Has that become a treasure in your heart? Has it become a, a distraction? Do you, do you value the debate, the discussion? Do you, do you value the arguments that, that happen around this? Should there be lockdowns? Shouldn't there be lockdowns? If they're locking us down, then they're, they're robbing us of our faith. And if I can't come to church, then, then they're stopping me practicing my faith. Let me tell you on that point, the Bible is very clear. We are not to be Christians in isolation. But if a government lockdown ends your faith, how deep is your faith really? When we look through the Bible, Daniel, he, he was in a very secular world. There wasn't a great deal of freedom around how he lived out and expressed his faith and how he worshipped God. Esther was the same. Joseph, he had no church. We, we've just done a series through the life of Joseph. He had no church. He had no life group. He had no family to go home and pray with. There were no church services for him to go to on the Sabbath. Yet Joseph thrived in his relationship with God. And this is, is the point, is that these things, these worries of the world become the, the light in which we're filling our eyes with. Or, or dare I say, they're blocking out the light. Jesus is the light. The more time that we devote on these things, as opposed to devoting them to the Word of God, as devoting them to the worship of God, to glorifying God, the more we are blocking out his light from our life and filling our body with darkness. Very basic level, what what is it that concerns us most? 
Well, Jesus narrows it down at the end of that, that uh, verse 24 to money. But money in itself is just a tool. What is it that, that is behind money that drives our motivation, that drives our actions? For some, it's greed. For some, it's, it's pleasure. But I think for most of us, it's a sense of security. Money provides us the certainty of tomorrow, doesn't it? Money, money gives us the confidence that tomorrow I will eat. Money gives us the confidence that tomorrow I will have clothes to wear. Money gives us the confidence that tomorrow I will have a place to sleep. Are these bad things? No. These are the fundamental essentials for life. But even pursuing these basic things can rob us of our relationship with God. They rob us from the righteousness that God desires to see cultivated in our hearts as a result of living in the kingdom of heaven. We pursue money. We pursue these possessions. We pursue these, these goals. And, we're, and life becomes this merry-go-round. I don't know about you, but it seems to just go faster and faster and faster. There's never more time to do things, but there's always more things to do. When all the work is done, if that's even possible, or perhaps we've done all that we can in a given day, we fill the rest of it with escape time. We try and escape the stress, escape the busyness, to distract ourselves from the things that make us feel vulnerable and helpless. We cling desperately to the things that give us a sense of control in our lives, but the danger is that these things become our idols. These things distract us from trusting God. We begin to rely on, on these things and our abilities more than we're relying and trusting God. Sometimes we even find ourselves desperate, drowning in a sea of impossible situations. This is the reality of life when we live it for ourselves and by ourselves, when we try to do it our own way. And to this, Jesus gives us this encouragement. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of his field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Are you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Because God is good, we will flourish. The challenge that we, that we, we deal with is the need to surrender the need for control of our lives and our future, our security, and to meet our own needs. It's not that we do nothing in life. It's not that we, we, we don't go to work. The challenge is it's a shift in priorities, a, a change in perspective. What are we working for? What are we living for? God has promised that he will provide what we need. So the question is, is what we want found in God? It is the treasure of our hearts what God has to offer? Or are we desiring more of what the world has to offer? And if we do want to find what God has to offer, how do we do that in the midst of the busyness of life, in the needs that we have? How do we do that? What does that look like? Shift our focus. We need to change our perspective, move away from the busyness of life, the worries of the world, and turn towards God. We need to slow down. Listen more and wait upon the Lord. Slowing down isn't easy, but it certainly is a choice that we make. With the rise of, of technology, we become very good at filling the empty space and time in our lives. Slowing down means making time for God. Perhaps it's switching off our, our phone, switching off the TV, the games, the social media, and the things we fill that empty space with at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. Slowing down is about making time in our lives for what matters most. Slowing down gives us time to listen more. Not to ourselves or the voices around us or the media or social media, but to God, to think, think about how you pray, how often you pray. Is your, your prayer life more like an emergency channel on the radio? Does it resemble just those, those one-off cries here and there that say, hey God, I need help. I'm struggling right now, God. Or is it defined more by an intimate devotion? Does your, your prayer life reflect talking to God or listening to God? I, I remember when I was nine years old and I, I was struggling with my maths homework. I just couldn't do it. And I remember my dad, who was a maths teacher, at the time in, in high school, uh, sitting down to help me work through this maths stuff. And he tried explaining this maths problem a dozen different ways. He showed me a dozen different ways that I could solve this problem. And I just kept talking over the top of him. 
I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't get it. I don't understand. And sometimes we can be like that with God, can't we? When life gets the better of us, when we're struggling, we we come to God and we just talk at God. We talk over God. We never... We, we, we run in, we lay our complaints at God, we, we tell him all the problems and how we want him to fix it and then we run out the door and expect it to go our way. We need to slow down a bit in order that we can listen more. Does your prayer life involve reading the word? It seems an odd thing. Because prayer, we, 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 we associate prayer with talking. Not everyone hears God in, in, in a, an audible way. That's why he's given us his word. Take time to listen in prayer. Read his word. Don't just read through it, but... Read it and let it resonate. Seek God. What, what are you saying here, God? The psalmist wrote, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the nations. Take time to listen more. This brings me to our final point. Wait upon the Lord. Never, never have I ever come to God with a need and walked away in less than a minute with an answer. Never have I I walked into God and said, Hey God, this is what I need. Thanks, bye, see you later. What I have found through the practice of engaging with God is that it requires patience. Not because God can't act swiftly. Not because God doesn't act swiftly. It takes time for me to tell Nick to shut up. To tell Nick's heart desires to shut up. And to be able to listen. Because I can imagine a whole lot of things. I can imagine a world that is a a far greater and better world. But I can never imagine fully the world that God plans. The world that God desires. The world that God is at work in, in restoring and redeeming. I can never fully fathom his ways. Understand his purposes. And reasonings. Occasionally, I get a glimpse that makes a little bit of sense. And that's why he's God and I'm not. Slow down. Listen more. Wait upon the Lord. That's what it means to seek first a kingdom. He's the God. The wind and the waves obey. He's the God that at his will kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. He's the God.
who is always in control. And he's the God who saves. Slow down. Listen more. Wait upon the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come this morning perhaps conflicted, frustrated, angry, confused, torn. Lord, maybe we're, we're wrestling because there's so much wrong that's around us. There's so much that, that we, we see that, that should be better, that should be done differently. But Lord, in a, in a world that is lost, for those of us who are blessed to know your glory and your grace, Lord, help us to slow down. Help us to listen to your heart, to know your heart, and to wait upon you for your ways, to live in your kingdom, we pray, Father, for your glory. Use us, mould us, we pray. Amen.